Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen. I'm joined by Keith Smith. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. And this week, we originally were going to do another team breakdown and, and move forward with the teams. But Keith, we ended up having a CBA agreement late, uh, what, Friday, and things have started, uh, you know, trickling out. It was an extremely slow burn of what details came out. What are your initial thoughts of everything that we currently know? My first thought is awesome that we have this agreement because that means there's no work stoppage coming, whether initiated by the owner's side through a lockout or the players through a strike. We have labor peace in the NBA and we're not going to miss any games. And I think we've gotten there over a series of years. It's become a much better working relationship between the two. This is a phrase I love to repeat um, is, you know, it's, it's everybody would rather have half a watermelon than a whole grape. Right. So it becomes a point with the teams in the players where it is, Hey, we're all making a ton of money here. Let's not, you know, what are we doing? Like, let's not be silly. But I think it's also the relationship has gotten better in in a weird way, although everybody would rather have not gone through a pandemic that gave them the ability to trust both sides even more of like, hey, we can work through this and get these things done. So that's my my initial takeaway, just as someone who doesn't want to miss basketball. Right. I don't want to miss games. I don't want to have weird seasons with, you know, less games or pushback calendars and all those things. That's my initial takeaway. My second thing is and we're going to get much deeper into the details on this is boy, did they make it hard on the most expensive teams while trying to make it easier on the less expensive and putting it into a place where they're trying to level the playing field a little bit more and make it, you know, introduce more, uh, they kind of call it like forced parity into the league and that stuff. I think as we get into these different details, we know, well, that'll all kind of come out more as we get into that, those things. Yeah, I was shocked by the amount of information that was coming out from, like I said, a, a slow burn where you got piecemeal here and then you got a little bit of a nugget and then more information on that same little nugget. But the amount of different things that came out as opposed to eh, we're just going to do one or two things here and then we're going to keep the status quo. They really went above and beyond as far as this CBA and I guess I kind of, as far as the high highest paying teams getting massively slapped on the wrist, it's almost like um, I, I was a teacher and they always said, go in as hard as you can, be as strict as you can, and then you can pull back later on instead of being, you know, soft in the beginning and then having to, you know, lock it down later on when it, it becomes harder. I feel like this is what the NBA is doing with the, highest paying tax teams is they came in guns a blazing. We're going to restrict you as much as possible and see how it works. And then if for some reason they need to pull back, they can, and it won't, they won't have as many repercussions. Do you feel the same way or am I reading that kind of wrong? No, I, I think that's, I, I don't know that that's the metaphor I would use because it wouldn't have come to mind for me, but I think it's a really good one. I think it it is true. I think it is. Hey, we're going to come down a little hard now. And then the thing with these these things that we really should have learned this lesson over the last couple of years is that these are all um, 
anything can be changed, right? They, they can do addendums, they can do side letters, they can do further agreements, whatever they need to do. And the reason we should have learned that is they've done it about 150 times over the last three seasons to get through these pandemic impacted years. So I think that's something where, hey, we're going to start here. And you know what, if these things don't work, then we can always change them. We, we can adjust, we can tweak, we can get there. But I think they were looking at it and saying, look, we do not want to turn into some twisted version of Major League Baseball or the Premier League, which we know Adam Silver uses European soccer leagues as kind of a model for a lot of things he wants to do, is we don't want to turn into a version where you have very rich teams that are very good most years. Then you have a bunch of teams kind of they're okay and maybe once in a while they'll pop through and then you have a bunch of teams at the bottom that you just kind of that that's where they live because they can't afford to be any more than that they want to make sure that's not where the nba goes and that's very hard with in a salary cap world but a soft salary cap world and the idea of a hard cap was always a no-go that was never going to happen. I, I talked to somebody who said if they didn't drop the hard cap stuff almost day one of negotiating, we would have it would have gone nowhere. We would have never got past that. We would have ended up in a lockout. And it's good that the NBA basically said, hey, you know what we're going to do? All right. I'm just going to use the Warriors as the example because that's the team everybody thinks this is targeting, even though I think it's the Clippers and what the Nets were, at least, for a little bit there. Um, what they are looking at now, I think, in the NBA world is with the Warriors, all right, there's no hard cap because we're not going to cost you the players you have or the players you draft and develop. You can still sign all those guys, but what we're going to make it hard on you to do is add in a ton, ton of outside talent. And that's where I think it's going to get really, really tricky with this stuff because what they want to make sure they do is, all right, you can keep your old guys, but we're just not going to make it easy for you to then keep adding and keep adding and keep adding. And you know what? I, I, I'm glad we did not go to the hard cap situation because I could have rattled off at least a couple things off the top of my head when they first came out with that of issues that teams would have come into had that been in place especially mm -hmm. with the the extremely high salaries that are already there how how far in would they have to adjust from you know the warriors or the clippers they're so high up into tax already you know what's the grace period or is it a hard deadline that you need to shed that salary right away or whatnot i kind of like that the the league is allowing the teams to spend yet giving them the handcuffs of, all right, you can spend, but you're going to lose X, Y, and Z. And on top of it, you're going to have, uh, you know, increased tax bans that we're going to get into and increased, uh, you know, all, all these other implications, but you can still spend. That's up to you. And that's mm -hmm. your prerogative. So, um, and, and that's always, I think the best way make it rather than forcing everyone to live in here's the hard and fast rule and this is how we're all going to live i think the best way is always give them decisions you want to hey if you're the warriors and you want to keep every one of these guys you've drafted and as they all approach you know 30 million dollars a year you want to give them all 30 million dollars a year and be insanely expensive that's fine but 
he can't then sign Dante DiVincenzo and, you know, all these other guys and go and trade and add money that way and those kind of things. So we're going to give you that option. And then if you say, you know, boy, we really need some roster flexibility. Well, then you know what? Your decision point becomes, do we have to let Draymond Green leave? Do we need to let some other player, you know, do we need to trade Jordan Poole, even though he was, you know, homegrown here? Um, I I think that's just better for the league. And it's it forces you to have 30 teams then that are really well run because it's gonna cost it's gonna mean you have to be very smart about the way you do business, but you don't all have to do business the exact same way. And that's when sports are at their best. I, I think when we run into everybody looks the same, it's it's just like, what is this? This isn't fun. Where this isn't enjoyable. So I think that's um, you know, something else that I think the NBA is doing a pretty good job of saying, hey, you can do things a lot of different ways here. But we're going to make it hard on you with that. Yeah, before we dive into the specifics, I I like that you said smart, but I was thinking creative because now that they've allowed – because once you get to the hard – if they went with the hard cap, teams can be creative but not overly creative. Now that they have all these different provisions – Teams can get even more creative and to a certain quote unquote circumvent the cap or the tax by structuring contracts in a different way. So I, I like that it allows for that creativity to come out more in some of the GMs and some of the newer GMs that have been studying this that are younger and have a new fresh set of eyes and ears with whoever else they have on their team. So I like it from, yes, they can be smart, but I like that the creativity we're going to see over the next five, six years, how teams really can operate and how they're going to read that fine print. I, and I know we're going to start getting into details here in a minute, but I really like that point because there's two things that always come to mind for me with this stuff. And the first is if you want to be a team that believes in the draft and we believe in our ability to draft well and develop well, you can do that. If you're a team that says, you know what? We can turn the roster every three, four years and bring in stars and do that. Guess what? You can still do that too. All those avenues are open to you. And I think that's really, really good. And then the last thing I'll say is I think the way the kind of agreement is set up and all those things is the NBA, I like to say the NBA CBA and salary cap is a set of rules that are the same for everybody, but where you stand out as a team, as a cap analyst, as whatever it is, is finding advantages within a fair playing field. How can you find the unique advantages to you and your situation that are unique that you can exploit and go through? And sometimes you exploit them and then they're like, well, that wasn't the intention. Let's close that loophole. And that happens. We see that happen, you know, pretty regularly with things, but that's what, what makes this fun for me is rather than having, all right, here's 30 teams that all, you know, you've all got the same 15 standard roster spots, now three two-way, and you're all operating within the same $150 million salary limits, and that's it, and and go. All right, we'd still have some of that fun of building, but I think it's really cool that we have a lot of different ways we can get to it. But I'm excited to get into the details on this stuff and start breaking them down. Yeah, yeah, let's dive in. First, uh, we're going off of the article that we posted on SpaTrack.com. It's on the homepage. We've updated it yesterday with the most recent details that we have. And we're just going to go in the order from the original post, and then we're going to go through the newer things that have been posted. So these are coming out in the order that, for the most part, 
details came out. And, and the first thing that dropped was the in-season tournament. Adam Silver's been pushing for this for years. I know the WNBA has an in-season tournament, so that was kind of like a, a pilot to see how it was going to work. Um, I, I like it. It, it. I think for the most part, it gives the players and teams a little bit more incentive during the regular season, especially out of the gate where some of the regular season games, which are going to count as part of the in-season tournament games as a, you know, a doubling up, it gives it more emphasis out of the gate. So you may not have that load management situation or, um, you know, guys that may or may not be just dinged up and they may play because they want to get that incentive. Mm-hmm. What are your initial thoughts from this in-season tournament? Do you think it's a good thing? Do you think it's, um, you know, it was just writing on the wall that was going to come no matter what? What, what are your thoughts? Well, <laughs> I think it's both. I think it was coming no matter what. I think Adam Silver had made that pretty clear. And, and the NBA has not, I don't want to say carte blanche, but they have a lot of ability to say what they want to do within the, schedule parameters right if they if they decided you know hey we're gonna make it so that you play like the way baseball used to do it you're gonna play every team in your division 10 times and that's how it's gonna be um they could do that without really having to get too deep in with the union they have ability to do that so this is one of those things where thankfully they partnered and they they agreed on this and it makes it easier i think it's going to be good i think there's a couple uh components with this one is you put something to win in front of competitive people and they want to win it, right? That's just the the reality of it is I am overly competitive as a person. So we play a board game and I want to beat my family in that board game, right? Like I just want to win. Like it does. And and it was a problem when, when our daughter was little, cause it was like, you know, no, I'm sorry. I won. Like that's, you know, and that's not, and I'm not proud of that. And I had to learn very quickly, like, all right, you know, let her win once in a while. Or like when, when, she was into basketball we'd go out and play a shooting game in the driveway and i realized well if i just beat her she doesn't want to play anymore so we gotta you know i gotta let her you know be be in this a little bit so i think in the nba it is largely a league full of very competitive people so you put a trophy in front of them they're gonna want to win it and that's just i think really making it simple on that side of it so that's the the, the first part of this i think the second part uh within this is we just got to give it time it's probably not going to be perfect the first time or two through and there'll probably be things they're going to have to adjust and we're going to have to figure out and all that stuff i think in general where we fear change right it's this is new i don't like this but we have a recent example of something a whole lot of people are like ah, that was a cute gimmick for the bubble the playing tournament because we had to do something to level the playing field. Cause since we we're going to miss a whole bunch of games, but then it turned into, wow, that was awesome. Let's just make this a thing. And now I don't know a single person who's like this playing tournament is stupid. I hate this. I hate that we are five days left in the regular season and we still have a whole bunch of teams alive fighting for spots. I, I haven't heard a single person say that And the, the playing tournament combines are, you know, as close as we get with um, the single elimination fawn of March Madness and all that. So I think what we're going to see with this in-season tournament is it's going to take some time, but probably that first year or two when it is, I don't know, King's Magic in the in-season tournament with a chance to go to the finals or win the final, 
you're going to see Kings and Magic fans who are going to be like, hell yeah, I want to win that. Let's go. You know, I, I, I want to be, you know, the champions on this because it's just how it is. And as fans of the game, we like to, you know, argue and complain. I think they've got things to figure out. I would have liked to have seen them. Hey, we're adding this while we also shorten the regular season a little in this. I'm very curious to see how does this doubling up of these games counting as regular season games? How's that going to work? If the pools like our initial pools are just like by division, right? We're going to play the other four teams in your division. That's the pool play. And then that's how we advance teams through. Okay, that's probably fine because you're going to play those games anyway. I do wonder what happens if it's, you know, Celtics are playing Lakers in the in-season tournament and it's going to double as a regular season game, but that regular season game was scheduled for April. You know, now it's going to be played in November. How does that, how's that going to work? You know, where is that going to be? You know, how's the travel going to work when you get into the tournament side of it? Because what you can't do is you can't just do it east and west. Because then it just turns into, so this is just early playoffs? Like, what are, what are we doing here? So there's, right. there's stuff and they've got to figure out. And from a scheduling standpoint, the one thing that a lot of these leagues do, does not have is you can't have right now a Lakers-Clippers finals match for the championship because it's East versus West. So if they structure this in a way that you could have two East teams or two West teams yeah. in that tournament finals – I think that's something that none of the other leagues have right now. Yeah. So I think that would be super compelling. Um, I, I My initial questions were very similar from the scheduling standpoint. Like if your final is in March or whatever, are they going to stagger the actual schedule, uh, you know, f- and, and have to do sort of like an NFL flex where these mm-hmm. two are the championships. So we have to change this game in this game, you know, it, from a scheduling standpoint, it's going to be interesting to see how all of that plays out, especially for how long the season is, because you don't want to have to be switching uh, games in you know, late March or exactly. whenever this is going to be when you're coming down to the wire and the play-in tournament is actually in play for the actual playoffs. So you don't want to have any you know, repercussions based on that. I, I find the $500,000 uh, $500, prize per player interesting and you make the note and I thought of it as well the guys on minimums but not only the guys on minimums that are it's a pretty nice bonus I'm curious to know how that financial pool is going to work for guys on 10-day contracts or two-day contracts or a guy that is on the team through January February gets waived or bought out at the at the you know after the trade deadline, how are those guys that were on the roster for a majority of a season, are they going to get part of that pool? Or do you have to be on the team in order to get the pool when the championship happens? So mm-hmm. that's the fine print that I'm interested in because, you know, my guess is it may, maybe it'll be prorated or not. It's just interesting from that standpoint, from, from that money uh, situation. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I, I think what's, What's also kind of fun as we get into that and look at it is I think we'll see a situation with these, um, how do I put it, with the star players that everybody's like, why does LeBron James care about $500,000? Well, he cares about it because Max Christie makes less than a million dollars and he's going to want to get him paid. Right. And they did some of those guys. That's what they'll use as the motivation. Then again, I go back to, they'll also be like, well, Hey, if I'm playing, I want to win. 
right? No NBA player. This is like the thing, you know, because you get this all across social media where it's like, man, that guy took a terrible shot in this game. And then you'll have a bunch of people, you know, they like to reply with the gifts of tanks driving around. Well, it's because they're tanking. The players aren't tanking. The players don't tank games. There's no player who's like, man, I want to get a really high draft pick so the team can come in and draft somebody to replace me. Like, that's not how that works. In games, players want to win when they play. They're not tanking. Organizations may tank. It may say, hey, we're shutting a guy down, or you're not going to play this guy, or, you know, hey, coach, this this young player who's not ready needs to play 25 minutes. But I think that's the big thing is once they're out there playing, they're going to want to win. So I, I think the money stuff, we'll see. It, my guess is probably be treated almost like a playoff share where it's like, all right, hey, we'll decide if you know what they get of it and those kind of things, and we'll, we'll see. Or maybe there will be kind of hard and fast rules of if you're on the roster at the beginning of the tournament, you're eligible for the 500k all the way through um, with that. So you know, and it's not they didn't make it such a crazy large number where it's like, whoa, this is insane, but it's also not so small where it is like, all right, that's a game check. You know, no one cares about that. So. Yeah, we'll we'll see over time, you know, how much that that matters as well. But I I think this will be something where people are going to hate on it originally. They're not going to like it. And then probably two, three years in, they're going to be like, man, this is actually pretty cool. And it gives some meaning to, you know, November basketball that, quite frankly, a lot of casual fans don't really care about right now. Yeah, the last thing I'll say with this is, and you mentioned with the tanking, a Houston Rockets team that just happens to win their doubled up regular season and in season tournament game. It, it may help curb some of that tanking to a certain extent that if, if they happen to win those doubled up games and they're going into the quote unquote playoffs or however it's going to work in, in the structure, they may win more games than if they were just in like this season where, and we're going to win one every 20 games. They may sure. end up winning one every 10 games and their winning record may not be as bad as it could have been. So that may be a, a situation to watch as far as how does it, how is tanking handled with, uh, you know, some actual meaningful games and if they can win and try to win the tournament, but then, you know, that fine line between, all right, do we shut guys down because we want the best percent for the lottery or do we try to go deep into this in-season tournament because the other big dogs aren't going for it and we could yeah. so and that's why that's, i think it's early right in the season is because early in the year everybody's still playing so it'll be hey let's make sure these teams are you know because if you did it now yeah you're gonna have a bunch of teams that are like i'm nope not hurting my draft position you know to you know, do try to win this tournament thing. So, yeah, I, I think it, it's – I am super curious, like everybody else, to see the schedule when it first lands. What does it look like? How does this work? But, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, let's own what it is. It's made for TV. Anytime you put any kind of championship, anything on TV, people watch. That's going to bring more money into the league. And it's all just a cycle that it's just going to help people all around. So, you know, I, I think it'll be a be a good thing in the end, even if it takes us a little bit to get there. 65 games minimum have to be met for postseason awards. That's a new stipulation in this CBA, which will go in effect for next season, not this season. So it's about 79% of the schedule a player has to play in order to be eligible. So it goes, you know, 
I know last season, this season, the contention is, oh, this player, they're, they're in the MVP talk, but they haven't played X amount of games or vice versa for all NBA. I think 79% is a fair amount of games to be eligible. Um, are there any outside of the 65 games? Is there anything else that we have to be aware of for the NBA, all NBA MVP defensive player of the year, or is it just 65 games and that's it? Yeah. And, and we probably should have caveated all this at the beginning is this is all based on reporting. The CBA is not, out there yet for consumption right the term sheets haven't even been sent out yet i think part of it is this is why i think the language when the nba and nbpa release their statement is we have tentative agreement because if they had full agreement on you know the wee hours of saturday morning well then you could have sent it off monday morning to the league and the players for ratification and been done with this by tuesday and off we go i think there's still it's all right, we want to do this now. Let's work on the details and the fine print and the language and all that stuff. So that's why we're getting these, like you said, it was a very slow burn. It was like every two hours, Saturday and Sunday, here's a new tweet about the CBA. And it was like, okay, you know, what does this mean? And then maybe two hours later, we got a tweet that clarified it a little bit more. So what this one is, all of the reporting around this is, 65 games played to be eligible for the major awards. Some of those major awards still are linked for some players to financial considerations on the designated player side. So MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and All-NBA as far as we know. But what I found interesting was with conditions. So what are those conditions? Are those conditions something like are you're, you, you can still rest games and still get to the 65 games played? And if you rest, you know, what is that, 17 games, and you still hit 65 games, then fine. You know, we're there. But if you roll an ankle on top of it, and then you miss another week, is it going to be something like, all right, well, when you miss a game due to an actual injury, and it's not a, you know, blatant rest game, all right, the first game counts as a missed game, but games, any subsequent games missed don't count towards your counting of this, you know, so we'll, you know, if, yeah, you roll an ankle and you're out a week and you miss four straight games, only one game counts towards the, the missed games, you know, amount. And then we'll count all the rest and you'll be okay. Cause they don't think what they want to do is get to a position where they now guys are playing through stuff in March and April, just to hit these thresholds. The league also very clearly does not want to turn things into a farce, especially with these now added complex relationship with uh, gambling companies and betting companies. What you don't want to have is a situation where it's like it leaks, yo, 10 minutes before tip off. Hey, uh, player X is going out there and he's only going to play 10 seconds, commit a foul and get out of the game because he needs to hit his 65 games. And so everybody bet the unders on him. You don't want to have that because that turns into a whole scary, messy situation that nobody wants to deal with. So we're now in a position where it's fine, 65 games. Say what you want about it. I know it seems like some people really like it. Some people don't like it. Um, but it's what are those conditions in details? That's what I want to know. You know what does yeah. that look like? Yeah, the injury report labeling is going to be extremely indicative of this, you know, load management or injury management versus rest versus 
ankle tweak. You know, mm-hmm. it, it it's going to be a, a cat and mouse game for teams and, like you said, betting out there, sure. whatever it might be. Those labels are going to be very interesting because if a player misses by one game because they labeled it as rest or injury management or injury recovery or whatever it might be, that's going to be a, a, a sticking point. And again, like you said, the conditions may be the first instance. And then after that, it may not count. So I think that's just a way to get around the idea of like, it's a rest game, but we're going to say he has back spasms, right? Right. It's a rest game or there's an illness. Which, Every player has some sort of injury. So why not just say, oh, it's his ankle instead of saying injury management. I mean, I never understood that anyways, because you can just say, oh, my ankle is really sore tonight and list it as an ankle. You know, I think the other thing that's important to note here, too, and we'll see if this changes with the in-season tournament coming in and we're going to change the way the schedule has to be done. But the league has done a great job essentially eliminating the vast majority of the old back-to-backs, four games and five nights scenarios and those things. Most teams over the last, let's call it five normal-ish schedules, have played somewhere between 12 and 16 back-to-backs per season. So even if you go into an 82-game season right now, and it is, hey, my 35-year-old player, it is not in his or our best interest to play both ends of a back-to-back. You could probably still sit him out of every single one of those and still be okay to meet the games played threshold if you do that. So that's something that I think, that's why I think it was 60. You could make it so comically low that it's like, what are we doing here? And you also could make it like 78 games because you know, guys do get injuries that last two weeks and that shouldn't wipe you out. I think, you know, playing essentially 80% of the schedule, it's, it's fine. And it, this is one maybe to adjust, maybe it tweaks, but again, let's see what those conditions are before we get too you know, worked up on this. Cause I think it's going to be a, a different kind of spot. This next topic is one that I feel they missed the boat on. They, they should have done more standard veteran extensions increased from 120% to 140%. You and I have had conversations about this. Me personally, I think this is one that should have had way more of an overhaul than just going up to 140% to, you know, retain your player that you want. And I mean, you use the Jalen Brown situation, even going up to 140%, that's not going to move the needle for him with what's at stake for him. But for some of the, you know, mid mid tier players that are eligible for a veteran extension. Yeah. It's a nice bump, an extra 20% bump, but I just feel that they could have been more creative as far as, or opening it up a little bit more than what they did. Obviously, like you said, this is reporting. So maybe there's a little bit more into it that we're not seeing yet, but do you think they should have done more? Or do you think that the 20% is, is viable? I think this is great, but I think it's not great enough. What I would have liked to see them do is say, all right, one, let's increase it. And you want to go to 140% of the prior salary. Okay, sure. If that's where you want to go to. There's a part of me that says, Hey, look, if you just want to sign every guy who's extension eligible to a max, 
go for it go nuts and now you have these guardrails on the top end that'll probably limit how much that'll happen um it's important i think that we know with all of this stuff that a lot of cba things are done to protect the owners from themselves and the teams from themselves because it's when we used to be allowed to sign guys to seven to ten year contracts everybody did it for money now it'd be laughable the amount of money but then it was like this is insane that we paid this guy this much money over a 10-year period and it's like and we're just locked in and that's gonna be how it is and i think it's a situation where as we look at it it is well let's go back and say this is not what the intentions were or whatever the case may be and they put in these protections to our right, contracts are limited they can only be five years in length and they can only be four years if you're changing teams and all the things that come with that. I think what you could have done here, the creative solution to me, because they ever obviously weren't going to say just offer everybody the max, is you can offer 140% or you can offer a max to players, it to, to whatever their individual max contract would be in an extension. And no, you can't go in between. There's no negotiating. The negotiation comes up to the 140. Or if you want to go to the max, go ahead and go to the max. And that's fine. And then that removes things like the Jalen Brown situation, where quite frankly, 140%, that still only gets him exactly what he could get anyway in free agency. So now you're at a point where it's like, well, what's the point? I'd rather wait it out and see you know, where things are at because it's there's, there's no real advantage there. And it's also not enough of a bump to fix guys like Kyle Kuzma who only make 13 million. It doesn't change enough for him to where that's still less than I'm going to get in free agency. And it's one of those things where, again, there's very rarely a perfect solve here, but you did kind of okay, but you didn't do enough. You could have done a little bit more. And I wonder if this becomes one where, okay, Hey, we did that this CBA next CBA, six years from now, all right, we're going to tweak it further and adjust and say, all right, you want to go to a max for this guy? Go ahead. And maybe that's where it comes back in of, all right, you know, a team can only have, you know, five max players or something. I don't know. We'll see they what they put on those. But this is good, but not good enough. That's kind of my take on it. Yeah, I like that, your, your creative scenario there. It allows for a little bit more, you know, creativity and flexibility from that standpoint. I just wonder – in that situation, the, the league is probably okay with those kinds of players getting to free agency because then you have those premier players out there and it keeps free agency more relevant mm-hmm. than if everyone was signing these extensions and then you have a super watered down free agency, which we've seen in the past. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I agree. There's so much in here that there had to be a, a contention of some point, and maybe that was one of them where we'll we'll budge a little bit on this, but we'll we'll table it for another CBA or another amendment down the line to see how some of these other things go. Before we jump into the super tax stuff, let's real quickly hit the two way and the one and done rules that are still in place. Um, Third two-way roster spot, I, I like this. It allows more flexibility from a uh, connection with the G League. It allows for deep into the season, you need to have a player come in and not. you don't necessarily want to do uh, uh, use 
tax money on a 10 day player or sign a, a rest of season. So it, it gives those guys that you have in your system an opportunity, which we've seen quite a few players have that opportunity being on a two way, mm -hmm. especially late in this season now where guys have really contributed. I, I think this is a win-win for the G League, the NBA teams, the, the players themselves. Um, is there anything else we need to know about the third two-way? This is one of those unintended consequences one where I think if if they don't put any kind of parameter in there of you can't sign a third two-way unless you have 15 players under contract or something like that, you're going to see teams leave a standard roster spot open. And that doesn't feel great to me. I, I don't love the idea of a player missing out on a quote unquote real NBA contract or a full standard NBA contract um, and those kind of things. But in general, as long as you do something to that effect where it's, Hey, we can't just kind of sit here with, you know, just running with this. As long as you do something, I think it's great. I think this is awesome. I think the way you make the people care about the G League more is you put more guys who are actually attached to the team in the G League. Because right now it's two guys, maybe a third if there's a player on assignment, and then eight, nine, ten guys who are free agents and could be gone tomorrow. Like, not to bring the Celtics fully into this, but, you know, I cover them too. And there's this whole thing going on right now where the Celtics had an open roster spot. Everybody wanted them to bring Lucas Samanich up on that open roster spot. And the Utah Jazz got to him first because even though he's in the Celtics minor league system, he's an NBA free agent. And the Jazz said, yeah, we're ready. Let's, let's sign you and bring you on our team. So I think what happens in this situation is, yeah, if we can add more players, it's like baseball, which is where they're trying to kind of model off of. For years, how many times, right, even if you're – even kind of a casual baseball fan, it's like, hey, what's going on with that kid in the minors? Like that kid everybody's talking about, you know, what's happening? And you kind of do at least a cursory check-in. I think in the NBA, because it's not trying to follow five levels of minor leagues and, you know, hundreds of players, it becomes easier to say, hey, how are two-way guys doing? What are they doing in Maine, in Sioux Falls, and check in on those those players. So I think, I think in general, this is going to be really good. And I think the teams that have, done a good job with the two ways in developing players it's going to become that much more important so i'm excited for this one yeah and then no change to the one and done rule so that that's staying in play it, my my read on that is a teams don't want to have to allocate more resources to scouting high school players again they don't want yeah. to have to go down that road and my guess is they're they're okay. They want their G League Ignite team to flourish a little more and intended consequence, the overly, uh, overtime elite and uh, any overseas players that aren't eligible yet. So I, I, I'm okay with this from that standpoint. It, it allows, from a financial standpoint, veterans to still be able to get paid and not have to have high school players and develop them and, and spend all those resources from that young age. They can at least get that in-between tier of semi-pro college, that aspect. Yeah, I think this is one. Actually, let me rephrase it. I know this is one. 
that was very easy for both sides. I was told this was one of the first discussion points. Basically, the CBA always starts with is, you know, we all good with the way we split up the money. We are? Okay. From there, everything is easy or easier. It's all just details then because really a CBA is designed for how are we going to divide our money that we make, right? So I think what's funny is when we get into this stuff is there again, hey, the money's pretty good. Basically, it's we split it 50-50, more or less. That's just, that's oversimplifying, but that's as much detail as we need to go into. So then it becomes, all right, let's get into it. And I was told this was one of the first issues they tackled after it was, hey, we're not doing the hard cap thing. And that came off the table. So then it was, all right, let's talk one and done. The league was like, we don't want this. You know, the teams don't want it. As you said, they don't want to be scouting high school kids. And it's not as simple as, going to Montverde Academy, IMG Academy, and scouting 15 kids all at once. If you get a report of, hey, this kid in rural Vermont is tearing it up, you you got to go look because the thing teams are afraid of is missing, right? So it's going to be, we have to go take a look, right? We have to go see the kid. And, and you can't trust somebody when they say, hey, this kid's six foot eight and he's dominant off the dribble because then you get in the gym and he's six foot two and it's like, well, yeah, he's dominant off the dribble because he's playing against a bunch of dudes who can't play. So they're going to go check it out. On the, the Players Association side, it's kind of what you said of, man, every 18-year-old we put in the league is one less veteran that comes into the league. And if we start allowing 50 kids a year that are going to kind of throw themselves in the league and not just in the league, in the NBA, but in the G League. They're going to all land somewhere. And those are veteran guys that are going to be forced out. And now they both have the excuse, reason, whatever you want to call it, to say something along the lines of, well, you know, with NIL, these kids can make a lot of money in college. And if they really want to go pro and don't want to go to college, there's G League Ignite. There's Overtime Elite. You can go overseas. There's a lot of different ways you can do this. And both sides can kind of wipe their hands of it. And the funny thing is, I think this one was a staring contest of, you don't want this. I don't want this either. But I don't want to be the bad guy who says, you know, these 18-year-olds can't come. It's kind, of, it's kind of like, Scott, if you and I sit down, it's like, I want pizza. No, I want pizza. All right, we both want pizza. Like, just get pizza. Right. It's like nobody wants this. So like, let's just move on. So, yeah, I think it's a this is one that was very easy for them to to come to this decision on. And that's sometimes you need to start with something easy. Right. Because then that gets everything else moving. The slowest burn of all these things was the super tax (laughs) situation. You know, we had a little bit of. Can I just say I love that you're you're you've already adopted super tax. I love it. I'm forcing that into the lexicon because. Second luxury tax apron is too long, cumbersome, and doesn't really explain it. If you say the Warriors are a super tax team, instantly everybody's like, got it. Yeah, we're good. So I am for I am taking that on as my thing to force super tax into oh, the lexicon. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, Mike, this uh with this free agency period in the NFL, he was forcing cap conversions instead of restructures because you know, it, all, that's all that was happening was a cap sure. change. And, you know, we've had potential out that we've dealt with uh, and added into our, our, our lexicon here in, in spot track land. So I'm absolutely diving all in with the super tax just because it's so much easier. We already talk about, you know, super, super max and all that. So we might as well add it to the tax. So a lot of different things came out as far as this, the first of which is 
the second luxury tax apron being set seven is it 17 and a half million above is that the hard in that it's always going to be 17 and a half from what we know or is it going to be a a percentage above yeah so this is a great time i think to say this part about this is this one there's two two phases to this and the first is we're hearing 17.5 million but already the first tax apron it keeps getting referred to as people talk to this of it's 6 million above, but it's not a hard and fast 6 million. It is, it goes up by basically a half a percentage of what the cap rises. So that's, so it's, it's encroaching on being 7 million above now because it's, that's happened over the last couple of years. So eventually over time, if we, if you lock this in as a hard and fast 17.5, your space between the, first apron and the super tax it's going to shrink and it's going to be so small that it becomes essentially meaningless so i think it might be 17.5 to start and then we'll see it increases you know x amount as we go but we'll see where that lands the other thing is as we dive into this topic because there's a lot of stuff with this one is it has been made very clear through the reporting this will be phased in over time This is not going to be July 1. All the things we're about to talk about, they are all impacting the most expensive teams in the league. It'll probably be generally how the NBA does things when they make major changes to the way the cap functions or the tax functions. There is a phase-in period where they give teams basically, hey, you have a chance to get your house in order. A couple of CBAs ago, when they were major changes to how we're going to do the tax, they were given an amnesty clause because it was, all right, we need to allow you to really get in line quickly. We'll do an amnesty clause. And I think what we're seeing with this one is it turns into a spot where folks are going to be, hey, let's get this in line um, as best we can. There's not an amnesty clause. I've been told that over and over by people who are very close to this situation. There's not going to be one of those. So there's going to be a phase in on all these changes. So, but long answer to your question of yeah for now what we know is 17.5 million above the tax line if you're above that you're a super tax team and with that come a whole host of restrictions yeah what are those restrictions i mean i know them but you seem to spell them out pretty (laughs) user-friendly so what are we looking at yep first one uh no taxpayer mid-level so taxpayer mid-level going to be you know, roughly a $7 million exception. If you're above that, you wouldn't have that. Who would that affect? This year, uh, the Warriors wouldn't have been able to sign Dante DiVincenzo. There's your, your good example. Essentially, what they've done is for the most expensive teams in the league, you are down to you can sign your draft picks, you can re-sign your own free agents, and you can sign players to minimum salaries. Nothing else. You can't, you can't add players – any other way because one of the other big restrictions is you cannot take more money in in a trade than what you send out so in today's world the easiest description i can make is you send out 20 million you can bring 25 million in and that's sometimes how some of these teams salary creeps up creeps up creeps up warriors not a great example of that because they're mostly homegrown the clippers are the good example of that they kept doing these trades where it was they'd add some they'd add some they'd add some and now all of a sudden everybody clowns on the Warriors, but the Clippers are the most expensive team in the league. I think people have kind of forgotten, you know, about them a little because they're not so ingrained in our minds with this. So 
you you wouldn't be able to add any money in a trade. You would only be able to take in less than what you sent out, or you can take in um, the even amount. Even amounts really hard in the NBA just because salaries go all the way down to the dollar. The other things you can't send cash out in a trade, so you would not be able to buy a pick. Um, that's the the way I'm thinking through that. Um, you, you're going to have some form of restrictions. This is all still being clarified on what draft picks are tradable for you. Um, what's reporting is out there is you can't trade draft picks seven years in advance. So it sounds like you can't just go loading up and future picks and basically, hey, we'll pay the piper when it comes calling down the line. Um, the other uh, other one is on this is you're not going to be able to sign players on the buyout market. My guess is what that restriction will be is that period of time between the trade deadline and March 1st, which is the playoff eligibility waiver deadline. Anybody who's waived in there, if you're one of these super tax teams, you can't sign that player. You'll be ineligible to sign them. That's one. I could see that being a, that's an immediate, right? That starts this coming next coming season is that that one's going to come in right away because that's not hamstringing you based on current roster decisions. So I think we're in a place where we're going to see a bunch of these things. And what this did was you still, as we talked about at the beginning, you can still build your roster through the draft and by, you know, signing guys, you can still do trades. You can still, man, we picked off that really undervalued asset in a trade in those things. But what you can't do is, just keep adding salary and adding salary and adding salary through all the other mechanisms that are allowed to you today. So we're going to try to level the playing field out. And I think that's something that has been, um, it, it's an interesting compromise to find the mix between, all right, no hard cap was coming, but we can't keep going the way way we've been going. That's going to be, be something that's going to be a lot of fun to monitor because we talked about unintended consequences. There's a couple with this one is one is, is your roster decision, I get it. We got to get our books in order. You know, we, 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 we got to let these players go. We got to trade a couple guys so we can get back under the super tax line. So we have flexibility, or is it going to be much like we talk about John Hollinger coined the bird rights trap, which we talk a lot about is that team has no cap space. So they have to sign, re-sign their own free agent. Cause there's no way to replace them. Well, in this case, let's use the warriors as an example. Draymond green is, we're going to see an extreme example of, and we really can't replace him, so we got to sign him. Or are we going to see things like, you know, hey, $20 million player, but let's give him 30 so that then we can turn around and trade him later for a guy who makes 25 because we can't get a $25 million player any other way. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how these so-called super tax teams end up operating, you know, kind of in that um, you know spectrum there. Yeah, really it handcuffs those teams that really want to – really want to spend yep but still gives them a little bit of wiggle room mm-hmm. but you're right from a from our standpoint of tracking it it's going to be fun because every dollar for those teams is going to be vital they're gonna they're gonna to have to look more into the future than they probably already are just knowing all right we're gonna to have to project that player x we may give him an extension or this this contract. How's that going to impact us in three years, so that we know that we're not going to be going over that that thresh that second threshold, so that we're can't do anything to our roster. So it's going to again that creativity of teams are going to really have to you know map things out accordingly 
not only now, but future years mm-hmm. so that they can, they can maneuver. And like you said, we're going to overpay you now so that we know we're most likely going to flip you in two years. We can at least bring a, a, a salary that is below, but now that we can't go above, we have a little more flexibility from that standpoint. So yeah, you, you're going to have to thread that needle of, all right, did we go too far? And now you're a bad, almost untradeable contract versus that's eh, a little high, but we can make it work. Like those are going to be the things that we're going to see work. And I love your point of what I've been telling folks is you even more so now when you're super expensive, because you're not just going to be able to spend your way out of it. You have to live in today, tomorrow, and the day after tomorrow. You need to live in those worlds and have very good long range planning for where you're hoping to go. I think what the league is maybe hoping to introduce in this a little is, Hey, let's get into a point where it is, Hey, how the parody works is, even if you've drafted and developed and built, even those teams have a life life cycle, right? It's not going to be a decade long. It's going to be a four or five year window. And then you kind of have to reset and go. And then again, to go back to what we said at the very beginning of the show, this is where the very best front offices will really stand out and earn their money because you will cycle through and change up your team. So in conjunction with this threshold, second threshold, they are also altering the luxury tax bands of one dollar to five dollar to ten to ten million to fifteen million etc mm-hmm. where you know the level goes up and the team has to pay based on those bands my reading of this i had to read this a couple times because they say it's going to you know they're going to alter it my, my question is and maybe you have an answer maybe we don't know the answer to this yet is 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 the shift going to be a hard number or is it going to be a percentage of the cap increase sort of like the minimum salary and the exceptions have gone down? Do you know how the, the structure is going to be or is that something we're still waiting for? My understanding is this is going to be a we're going to increase these by X percent on top of whatever the cap increases initially and then every year after that as the cap rises or falls the bands will also rise and fall with it this is one that is a long long overdue these bands were set when they brought in the luxury tax which was in nba terms a million years ago they brought in the luxury tax and they said it because well you know five million that's basically what the mid-level exception amount is they were put in place when the cap itself was 58 million dollars The cap has doubled. The bands have not doubled. Yes, the tax line has gone up, but basically these bands, it is, it used to be, well, we can do 5 million between band because it's hard to go up $5 million in any one off season. And now what happens is $5 million is one signing, right? It's one signing and that could trip you two bands, right? If you sign a contract big enough. So what they're now doing is it is turned into, all right, let's be very smart about this. This is, you know, we, 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 we need to restructure these, create more space, create these bands need to expand and go. And that's, this is, this is a good, good one because teams were being very unfairly penalized with the taxes. And then never mind if you hit the repeater tax even more so because of how small these bands were. So this, this is a really good change. Yeah. That'll help spread some of that you know, the Golden State Warriors situation yeah. out a bit more so that 
they're not as impacted and it's not as hurtful. But, you know, this on top of the super tax, you know, threshold, again, these are things that teams have to look at hard and say, do we, A, do we want to pay that much in taxes? Because the, the, that the bans are still going to be there. It's just going to be maybe spread out a little bit more than it is. And on top of it, do we want to lose our ability to have roster flexibility? So, you know, in, in some respects, the shifting of the bands is, is helps a little bit from the golden state or the Clippers or whoever else might get up there. But I, I mean, again, we don't know the fine print. So per, perhaps the, you know, dollar per over might shift as well in, in addition to the bands. Mm-hmm. So yeah. until we have the, the full picture of that, I, I think the jury's still out as far as the impact of, of that one specifically. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're going to have to, this is one where a, a lot of these things are, all right, I think I kind of get it. But once we see the real CBA, we'll be like, oh, okay, it's, it's funny. I've started thinking of these, the CBA stuff is almost like a contract where it's like, yeah, here's how it got reported. Then you see the real contracts like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now, now I see what well, what it actually is, right? And that's just one of those things where I'm kind of taking that approach with, with all of these. And I know, you know, we've got a handful of, of other things to get through. A couple of the next ones I think might be a little quick, so hopefully we'll be able to zip through them. <laughs> right. Uh, revenue from licensing, I think that's a quick one we can hit. Uh, yeah, that's so... super easy. Yep. This one to me is a no-brainer. Uh, I, I refer to it as if te- teams in the league as a whole have value because of the players – if I am licensing, you know, Lakers to be in a TV show, like I'm allowing a team to, to use the Lakers in a TV show or, you know, just the NBA and something, the players should get a cut of that. And it'll finally be folded into the BRI. It's, and it's one of those ones where it's, hey, let's just get our share of this pie. It's not a huge amount of money. I think they said it's about $160 million in licensing that they make. That's going to get split in half. But still, it's another couple hundred thousand bucks per player to, you know, that that'll be uh, you know, divvied out eventually. So I, I think this is a good one. Players are allowed to invest in NBA and WNBA as well as partnering with gambling and cannabis companies. I mean, you already sort of mentioned this real quick before. We'll do real quick here. I, I think the jury is still out on this one, so we may not have enough details as far as the implication of. Uh, you know, what the quote unquote investing in an NBA or WNBA team is, especially the NBA, because if you're a player that, you know, you, you sign with your Damian Lillard, you signed with Portland, they give you X percent. And then all of a sudden you're requesting a trade or you want out. And you know, what happens to that, that, as you said, things could get real messy with that. So anything outside of that? Yeah, no. And I think, I think we're getting a little bit more clarity in some of the reporting. Obviously we'll get a lot more is it sounds like it's going to be a general investment fund managed by the NBPA with the NBA partners. Sounds like very similar to like a 401k, right? Where it's like your company's involved, but really you hand it off to somebody else to manage. And that's how this sounds like that, that will work rather being directly invested into an individual team. I think this is great for the WNBA side. You know, Hey, anything you can do to continue to build, 
build basketball. You know, it's the best game in the world, in my opinion. So let's keep it, keep it going. Let's keep building it up. I think the um, gambling company one is a slippery slope. I've seen a lot of people really nervous about that. I think if it is, hey, I'm player X tonight, the over under for my points is 20 points per game. You should bet the over. And then what happens if the gambling company they're partnering with is like, Hey, we took too many bets on the over. Can you score 19? Like that's scary. Right. And that's a thing we all have worries about. I think it's more going to be, Hey, I'm player X do your betting with, you know, company Y. And that's as simple as it'll be. And in today's world, they're not allowed to do that. And then the cannabis stuff, it's also, you know, they're basically taking marijuana out as something they're going to test for. Um, to me, that just kind of common sense, right? You, it's legal more and more in more parts of the country. So as long as, you know, hey, you're following the local laws, like that's, you know, that's outside of the NBA. You need to do that anyway is, yeah, let's, let's, you know, guys want to, you know, smoke weed, let them smoke weed. Like if, if most of the country is saying that's fine, go and if they can smoke it well they ought to be able to sell it right i can as i put it i can drink coca-cola and i can endorse coca-cola so so why not so this one to me it's kind of like that just seems like a little bit more of a common sense one this one is for me long overdue second round pick signing exception however they're going to structure this as as far as the the fine print but they're now going to have the ability to sign these second round players to a specific exception instead of having to do a mid-level or a room or, you know, cap, you have cap space. They use the cap yeah. space. I, I like this one a lot. I've always wondered why first round draft picks, they get their rookie scale exception in the second rounds. They they're, they're drafting. It's almost like why even draft a second round player? Why even have that second round? If you're going to have to use a, you know, an exception that, could be used for a veteran to be on your team. So I really like this pick. Uh, I'm interested to see what the fine print on it is. Are they going to say it has to be a three-year deal? Can they do, you know, is it going to have to be a 5% or 8% increases? What are the limitations to the, the exception? But I'm glad that it came to the CBA. Yeah, our only loss here is we can't continue to crack jokes on the Lakers for bungling this every year. But, you know, so so be it with that. Yeah, this is a win-win all around. Teams will get better ability to build out rosters. Players will get contracts um, that are different. As long as the players, you know, aren't forced into signing these, as long as the players can still say, eh, I'd rather do two years and getting the free agency, then I'm okay. You know, give the team the ability and the player the ability, but don't force them into having to do this. So that part I think is good. And then I think um, veteran players win because now no longer will it be, hey, we got to carve a million dollars out of the exception amount to give, to our second rounder so we can have them for three or four seasons. You know, now the veteran guy can just get the full exception amount. I think that's great. Um, That probably flows right into the exceptions. This one I can do very quickly. They're going to go up in value. The non-taxpayer mid-level and the room exception, they're going to increase them. Um, I was told it's the non-taxpayer will go up by probably initially one time, 7.5% plus whatever the cap, whatever it's going to raise by anyway. So those go up as the cap goes up. So cap goes up 8%. The mid-level exception goes up by 8%. Well, I'm using 8%. That's what it's projected for next season. So I think what's really important with this is, so now it'll go up by 15, 15.5% one time, 
re-level it, then it'll continue to raise by whatever the cap raises. The room exception, which is kind of your bonus exception for, hey, you had cap space, that's awesome, now you get a little bit more, that's going up by 30%. So say 38% one time, and then it goes up. This is great, more money, more flexibility for teams to spend. I think this is these are you know, really good. And again, this is that leveling of the playing field, right? Kind of, kind of hamstringing the top, the most expensive teams, but the teams in the middle were going to give you more tools to beef up your salaries and your rosters. So again, let's let's start shifting some of that mid-range talent, right? We're going to move it from signing on with the top teams. Now I can get a little bit more money. I'm going to sign one of these middle of the pack teams that lifts them up, brings the top team down, and now we've you know in, injected that parity into the league that they want. Yeah, that's a great point handcuffing the top allowing your bottom to have more flexibility get offer more money you know those mm-hmm. teams like the spurs oklahoma city a couple of years ago they had all that cap space yeah here here's a room exception now with a little bit extra so that if you do get close you've got that exception to use and and, and it's more than it was before so you can take on yeah. a veteran that you know could be that next man up on your roster whatever it might be you know again i i I like that you're shifting from the top to the bottom you're allowing maybe some of those small market teams to have more of a chance to sign some other players that they may not have necessarily been able to before Mm -hmm. yeah and it's i I think it's it is you know because i've seen some people like oh great another thing that can just sit there you know completely unused in that will be some of that will happen but in reality teams are very unlikely to let money just kind of sit completely unused that that, that's pretty rare that we see that happen all right anything else that we didn't hit that you feel is something that should be brought to the limelight here i i think um cap smoothing that's a huge one i just want to make sure we touch on that so we know um in 2016 the salary cap went from 70 million to 94.1 million in one off season the thing everybody remembers is yeah we know that's how the warriors got kevin durant yeah that's also how lou Aldang and timothy moskov got absolutely you're right this contracts <laughs> when you don't smooth the cap it literally benefits one free agent class and that's it because everybody else is all right i'm a free agent yeah they can make more money but it's the non-max guys that are going to benefit. And what we would have seen is they're like, nope, no caps moving coming because in 2025, we're going to have a new media rights deal that's going to kick in. That's going to be, uh, you know, inject a ton of money. We're going to see the cap probably go up, you know, huge, probably somewhere in the range of $30 million. So what they've done is basically said, hey, now – in 2016, they didn't have a good working relationship, right? The MBPA was like, yeah, right, cap smoothing. We'll never see that money. It'll never come back to our players. Now they have the good working relationship. They've already put in some constraints on how much the cap can grow by, how much it will definitely grow by. I think the the NBA giving and saying, hey, even though we're coming out of these pandemic years, we're still going to go up by a minimum of 3% each year was huge because it showed, Hey, we're your partners in this. Like we will make sure you're getting more. Now what they're saying is it's going to be 10%. We're going to cap it at 10% growth. Um, because what they don't want is, all right, here's 50 million, a hundred million in cap space for some of these teams. And it all goes to that year's free agent class. And then it just becomes a mess and you have all these horrible contracts. I mean, there's, I think it was Nate Duncan started calling them the sour 16s. 
until they were off the books because it was like, oh man, that's still sitting out there because that's how bad some of these deals were. So I think the caps moving is absolutely huge that that, that got put I, in. I, I totally agree. I'm glad you you mentioned this before we, we end here because this, in addition to the super tax situation that we talked about, this allows teams to already put in a 10% maximum cap increase for the next foreseeable mm-hmm. future and already be able to plan out their their books from who's already on their roster, what their extensions might be exactly. instead of, all right, we're going to estimate that it's going to go up 5%, 5%, and then boom, 30%. We don't really know if that's going to be this. This allows for the league to really look forward and see, all right, we're going to have a ton of space here. We're, we don't think our roster is in really good shape, but we're going to have X and, you know, it's great for our site because I can go in now and I can say, all right, 10% the next five years. Yeah. <laughs> and I already have the cap maxes and estimates of luxury tax and all of that. So for us, for you and me, from a, an accounting standpoint, it's really great because now we can say, all right, in two years, this is what X team looks like. And yeah. because the cap is already sort of, it, this is the highest it can go. If it goes lower, it goes lower, which it most likely is going to max out at 10, but we can at least project forward and see what things are going to look like. Yeah. And then we'll know, all right, so we should have gone up by 15%. Uh, you know, so we're going to cap it at 10. What happened? Cause a couple of people have asked what happens to that 5% it spills into the next year. So if the next year only should go up 2%, it'll go up by seven because they're spilling it into the next year and it'll keep spilling over until eventually, you know, even yeah. if you didn't, all right, it was going to go up by eight. So that should be 13. All right. So we'll put two more and then three is left over and it'll just keep going until it catches up. And yeah. and this is just a smart way to do business. It's just, Very. it's better for everybody involved because what we would have had otherwise is this summer, next summer would have been teams and players all, Everybody would have been gearing up. All we would have heard about for two full years was got to be ready for that summer of 2025 because we've got to be in position to do X, Y, and Z. And you would add a million free agents and a ton of teams that would have made weird moves because it would have been like, yeah, we're kind of throwing away a season here. But, you know, in that summer, we're going to have, you know, 150 million in cap space and we're going to be able to go sign everybody under the sun and all these things. And it just would have made for very weird, odd, odd, uh, years now i mean the maybe it's just the the you know weirdo in me i would have loved to have seen a giant spike just to see what happened just to be like oh my god that guy got you know a 30 million dollar contract but you know this is better in in the end it's better for everybody better yeah purposes and everything it's not fair to those other free agents that aren't able to experience that because they had signed a four year that overlapped and all that. So I I like the caps moving from that uh, level playing field standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there is a ton of other stuff in the piece on spot track. We're like already over an hour. So you go check it out and read it. You'll see there's stuff about they eliminated just very quickly. You used to be, you could only basically have two designated players on a team that's gone away. That's again, let's give some guardrails and allow teams. You want to keep your guys, you can keep them, but you know, you get expensive. You have these other handcuffs that are common. Um, They're, they're doing some stuff with uh, physicals at the draft combine that are interesting. I've, 
thoughts on that. I'll, I'll let you read those. Instead, uh, teams will be able to use signing exceptions as trade exceptions, which are pretty cool. That's a nice uh, tweak. And, you know, just any overall, if you can give teams more flexibility in the way they can build rosters out, I think it's better. I think it's better for everybody involved because it introduces more movement, more uh, changes, more agency for players and teams to do different things. So I, I, I think what we've seen so far, I think it's probably a net positive, even if some of the things aren't exactly, you know, the way I would have liked to have seen them, but maybe when this thing actually comes out and we get our hands on the actual CBA, we'll see. Okay. Some of these things are even better than what we thought. Yeah. We're going to continue to update that piece as more details. If they start to come out, we'll update that accordingly. You can hit up Keith on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA. You can hit up me through uh, at spot track. If you have any specific questions through there or hit us up with an email. Um, Keith, this was great. A lot of details here. I'm looking forward to seeing more and uh, we've got a lot of work on the site, but I'm holding off right now to some to some extent, because again, some all of this is the reporting. We don't know full specifics. So when we do start to know really more specifics, then I'm going to dive in and uh, <laughs> tweak accordingly. But I'm holding off because I don't want to have to do double work on my end as far as changing it and then changing it again and going from yeah. there. So Yeah, I said when the real CBA comes out, I might take a copy of my laptop and go retreat to a mountain retreat somewhere and grow a beard and cut, come out two weeks later and be like, all right, let's go. Let's, let's, yeah, let's go. Right. Probably not going to be how it goes, but I, I will probably be, people will probably be like, Hey, what happened to him? He doesn't tweak too much right now. Probably because I'm deep in the CBA trying to learn it and, right, and figure exactly. it out. So I'm super excited, but yeah, no, this is great. Um, and I'm glad we're doing that. This is an awesome forum for us to do this, right? This kind of deep dive into this stuff. I think this is awesome. It is. All right. Thanks Keith. Uh, on to next week. And uh, for Keith Smith, I'm Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast.